And it takes a moment to kind of get your composure after a glorious song like that to sing to our God. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we'll be uh, starting at verse 26. And I'm going to pray for us one more time as we come to God's word that the spirit of the Lord would come upon us in power because we need we need to hear from God. We need to hear his word in power. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness and I thank you for your grace towards us, Lord, that you won't leave us. You won't forsake us. You will not let us down. You are unfailing in your love towards us. You are gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. And I thank you, Lord, that you saved to the uttermost all who draw near to you. And Father, as we get into your word today, I pray that your spirit would come and that you would lay hold of every one of our hearts and that we would hear the word that we need to hear today that the Spirit of God would open up our hearts to receive the truths that you have divinely inspired in the Scriptures, and that it would be like fire set ablaze in our souls, that you would build up your church, that you would call any who are lost and fast bound in sin to a salvation, a perfect salvation in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that this great news we get an opportunity now to hear as we enter into a gospel account of the powerful work of Jesus and the life of a sinner in need. And we thank you, Father, for this word, and we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, I just wanted to open with a story about a man named Raul Reese. He was a Vietnam veteran and lived through all of the horrors of Vietnam and had PTSD. When he got home, he had a lot of family trouble, a lot of stuff going on, um, a lot of demons haunting him, and he just felt shackled. He felt bound. He felt discouraged began to abuse alcohol, drugs. His family began to crumble and deteriorate. His wife wanted to divorce him. And he was furious. He was angry because he had to go through all this stuff. And how could he go through this war? How could he come back? How could his family just unravel like this? And his wife was going to leave him. And he said, I'm not having it. And so he planned one night to ambush his family as they came in the door and he had an assault rifle and he would lay kind of a, a, a little um, trap for his family as they came into the door and he would shoot them and that's what he was going to do and lo and behold the TV was on at that moment and at that juncture as he's waiting for his family seething in anger bitter to the world, and 
a gospel word comes on through that TV and he's upset about it and he throws something at the TV and hits it and then the man on the TV named Chuck Smith talks about Jesus and that Jesus could save you and he kind of speaks to the to the camera like that and Raw was just hit like an arrow to the heart and he knew that God was speaking to him a word about his sin and about his need and about his redemption and that God could actually save him and here he is ready to to kill his whole family and he gets saved and instead of slaughtering his family he embraces his family and he comes in the door and that man not only gets saved but becomes a pastor and an evangelist and begins to tell of that great news for his whole life. He's still a pastor to this day and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And his whole ministry is called Somebody Loves You because the testimony of the transforming power of Christ to come into somebody's life was something he lived through. And we're going to be starting kind of a short little series called Close Encounters with Jesus today. And we're, we're going to enter into a story about Jesus meeting a man filled with demons. And he gives him a close encounter. And so it's kind of like you walk into this story and it's very similar. This man is bound full of demons. And it's like a showdown between Jesus and the prince of darkness. It's like Wyatt Earp against the Cowboys, right? It's like the showdown at the OK Corral. Jesus is walking onto the scene and the tumbleweeds blow through the graveyard as He meets this man. So as we read this account, I want you to be thinking about the reality that Jesus has the power to save sinners no matter how hopeless the situation looks. So we'll start in verse 26. This is God's holy word. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out onto the land, there met him from a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to, or they begged him to command them to depart into, not to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And, um, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. 
Now that's going to cause an uproar, right? Now the herdsmen saw what had happened and they fled and they told people in the city and in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone from sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so he got into the boat and returned, and the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might stay with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now what's interesting about this account is this is the first time in Luke's gospel that Jesus is going to go into Gentile territory. Jesus actually took a boat ride with his disciples and a great storm comes upon the boat and Jesus is sleeping and his disciples are freaking out. And you remember the story, right? He's slumbering and they're terrified and they're, wake up, master, wake up. And the storm's hitting him and Jesus gets up and he speaks a word of rebuke to the storm and the storm obeys and quiets down. And then they say to themselves, who must this be that even the winds and the water obey him? And then the boat arrives on the other side of the Sea of Galilee to a Gentile territory. And Jesus steps on for the first time to a Gentile territory. And he goes out of his way to meet a Gentile man filled with demons. And it was like a sign in Luke's gospel that Jesus actually has a mission to reach all peoples, not just the Jews. He would come for some from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he encounters this man filled with demons to bring a word about who he is. And it, it was like a sign that not only can Jesus deal with storms, he's got authority over storms, but Jesus has power over the prince of darkness and even the demons obey him. So as we enter into this story, I just want us to look at it like, like it's a few snapshots of pictures. And we're going to see a picture of bondage. We're going to see a picture of deliverance and then a picture of discipleship in this account. And the conclusion kind of at the end of this account is Jesus is the son of God who has power to save sinners. So maybe you're here today and you're like, well, how, how is this kind of like going to work for me? Well, Jesus has power to deal with your sins. Jesus has authority to make you clean. Jesus has power to come into your life in ways that totally transform you. And it doesn't matter how hopeless we are. 
He has the power to break through. So let's look at this. Picture number one, a portrait of hopeless bondage. Look at verse 27. When Jesus had stepped out onto the land, there met him a man of the city who had demons. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not, do not torment me before the time. That's my demon voice. But ultimately, um, what's happening here? What do we see in this picture of, of bondage? What do we see happening here? It's like Luke's helping us see that the situation is utterly destitute and hopeless. This man is in abject darkness. For a long time, he'd been filled with demons. He's completely naked. He's homeless. He's wandering about a graveyard. They've tried to subdue him with all of the shackles and the chains, but he breaks free because he has supernatural power because he's filled with a legion of demons. And Jesus asks the name and, and he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And a legion was a company of men in the Roman uh, army that numbered about 6,000. So think several thousand demons filling this one man, controlling him, binding him, shackling him. And then he's wandering around a graveyard filled with dead things, utterly cut off from his God, from his fellow man, and even alienated from himself. Bound until he encounters Jesus. I mean, why all the details? Why, why does Luke paint this picture so graphically? Why does he give us all these little tidbits of this naked man running around a graveyard? Because he wants to show you how desperate the situation was. And he wants to show you the great bondage that is represented here. And the Bible pictures all of humanity as being bound in sin. The Bible actually pictures us as being enslaved by sin. Captive following after the prince of darkness. Not demon-possessed in the sense of this man here, but in the sense, the Bible says, all men are under the sway of the evil one. 1 John 5.19 And then listen to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul the Apostle says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty horrid picture of humanity. 
That's a pretty uh, stark picture. We're dead. We're following the course of the world. We're going after the ways of the prince of darkness. And then it says we're just living for our base passions. So think of this man in the graveyard. He's shackled. He breaks free. He's running around doing whatever he wants. And what we see in the Bible is man totally living for his base pleasures and passions apart from God, bound in sin until the light of Christ breaks through. How do we deal with separation from God? How do we deal with separation from one another? How do we de deal with the fractured things going on in our soul? If Jesus doesn't break in, we cannot. But notice what we see here. Something different is happening. It's as if Luke is saying what nobody else in society could do. Because they tried to manage this guy. Hey, let's put some shackles on him. Let's get him out of the way. Let's try to kind of clean him up a little bit. Put some shackles on him. And what does society do with the sin problem? Right? The same sort of stuff. Well, let's try to just kind of deal with this. Let's, let's try to manage sin. And you can't manage sin. It'll destroy. It'll continue to destroy. It'll continue to enslave. It'll continue to shackle. And this man was able to break free of his physical shackles, but surely he had a much deeper bondage going on. Darkness, blindness, chains. It just reminds me what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says that truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So sin enslaves us. It shackles us. And I, I think of the, the Charles Dickens novel, right? A Christmas story. And what does... Ebenezer Scrooge encounter in the Christmas story. But the ghost of Jacob Marley. And what is he covered in? He's covered from head to toe in clinking, rusty, nasty chains. And all of these chains represent the crooked ways, the deceptive ways, the cunning ways that he had lived. He had been a vile man. He had cheated people out of their money. He had, he had preyed upon the vulnerable in society. He was a wicked man and he had come back to warn Scrooge that if you don't repent, this will be you. And it was as if Dickens could do no better than point us to this man who is in a graveyard totally hopeless. And all through the Gospels, we see Jesus running towards people in their need. He goes out of his way to find this man. And the first thing that happens is the man runs up to him and falls on his face. And that should tell you something's different that's going on. What everybody else couldn't fix, Jesus can. 
what everybody else thought was hopeless, Jesus can actually deal with. So think about your life. Like, are there situations you're in right now that you feel hopeless? Or are there situations that, where you feel like you're struggling? You need to know that Jesus is the one who can actually do what nobody else can do. What society will try to reform morally and just try to make people better. Well, we just got to educate them and then they'll do better. But you would have no white collar crime if that was the case. You would have no crooked executives that, that are corrupt, praying on the backs of blue collar workers. You'd have none of those sorts of things if education was just the way. But ultimately, we know deep down that sin is a bigger problem than just managing it through society's norms and society's mechanisms. We need a divine intervention from the Prince of Peace. We need one who said to the, the, the demons that he can actually deal in ways that nobody else can. When Jesus speaks to a demon, they obey. And sometimes we all kind of talk to talk about our sins like I haven't conquered my demons yet, right? I haven't dealt with this. Jesus can speak a word into our lives because he's somebody altogether different. He's somebody altogether wonderful. He's somebody altogether powerful. And look in our story as we see in verse 28, this encounter kind of crystallize when he saw Jesus when the man saw Jesus he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice what have you to do with me Jesus son of the most high God I beg you do not torment me notice that Jesus notice the demons know who Jesus is and they know where their plight is going they know that their time is running out. They know that one day they're going to be thrown into the abyss. That revelation speaks of a bottomless pit where all the demons are thrown. And right now they have room to make havoc, but one day their end is sure. What did we hear in, in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? One little word shall fell them. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. Because Jesus has the ability to do what no one else can. And that's picture number two. An authoritative deliverer needs to come. And that's exactly who Jesus is. Look at verse 30. Jesus asked them, what's your name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to, to depart into the abyss. And now there were a herd of pigs that were feeding on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. And so he gave permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herds rushed down the steep bank. And into the lake they drowned. 
it's kind of ironic that they didn't want to go into the abyss. And a lot of times the abyss in Scripture is seen as a lake or as a, a body of water in which you are drowning. You see it in the book of Jonah where Jonah gets swallowed by the whale and he's using all this in imagery of falling into the deep. This abyss that will swallow you whole. This judgment of God. And, and, and ultimately that's exactly where the, the demons head. And, and they're bent on the destruction of this man and then they destroy the pigs and they end up in a watery grave. But what's the story saying about who Jesus is? What is this display of authority even over the demons? What is this display of authority even over the, 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 the most powerful supernatural beings in the universe apart from God, are demons and angels. And Jesus has the authority to command them and they listen. Just like the waves listen, just like diseases, Jesus can speak to a fever and it departs the Apostle Peter's mother-in-law. Just like that. And we'll see in another encounter of Jesus that He actually can raise the dead. And so, Jairus' daughter is dead and totally without life. No breath left in her and Jesus touches her and she rises. Who has command over death itself but this King? And it's like Luke is trying to unfold for us that what's happening here is the great bondage breaker, the Messiah, has come in and He can actually deliver the oppressed. He can actually raise the dead. He can actually set the captives free. He can actually do the things that reverse the effects of the curse in this world. And all the stuff you see over in Ukraine and all the stuff you see in the suffering that sin brings on our world, this Jesus is the one one who can deal with it. And that is the greatest news in all the world. Because the slaughtered Lamb of God came to save sinners. And He gave Himself up on a cross to redeem a people to Himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And He saves to the uttermost all who draw near to Him. And He approaches this man as the great Deliverer the great Messiah, the great Savior, the Lord of all. And so perhaps we just need a word today from God that the same can happen to us. The same can happen in your life. You just feel like this guy. You feel shackled. You feel prisoned. You feel, you feel bound up. You feel like, I need rescue. That's exactly who Jesus is. And He enters into people's lives just like He did Raul Reese when all His hope is lost. And He comes in at the last moment and you feel like it, this, everything's falling apart, but Jesus enters in. And this man had been at it in the graveyards for a long time and people had given up on him and he was the talk of the town. One preacher said it's like naked Norman running around the graveyard, right? Just a weirdo. No hope. 
But Jesus changed him. Jesus made him different. Jesus brought grace into the hopelessness. And, and, and look, this whole chapter is like bookended with the powerful work of God manifesting kingdom power in the life of Jesus. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 8. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and the villages proclaiming and, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him and also some of the women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out of her. So Jesus is proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and then he's healing, evil, he's healing people of evil spirits and infirmities. And even Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her, and Jesus cast them out. The, the chapter starts like that. The power of Jesus manifesting. Then look at chapter 9 in verse 1. And we see it. Now Jesus commissions the disciples with this same power. And He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. What is this Jesus about? He's about bringing the power of God to manifest in this world to break the effects of the curse in our lives. And that's His commission to the disciples. It's His commission to the church. That same power is manifest in the preaching of the Word to raise people from the dead and to break the shackles of our sins and to rescue us. This Jesus is a powerful Savior. And no one could do the things that he could do. And do you believe, if you're a Christian, that the same power is manifest in you? The same power that ran through the disciples, that courses through Jesus' life, the power of the Spirit of God, the age of messianic blessing breaking into human history through the person and work of Jesus is at work in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you, Christian. The same Spirit that makes people alive and that opens eyes and that convicts of sin and of the judgment that is coming is at work in you. And His job in this world is to convict the world of their unrighteousness and sin. To show them a picture of who they are in this man. Shackled. Fast bound. Without hope. And then to show them the glory of Jesus as a great Savior to rescue. And sometimes we think we've got to be like this man. Hopeless. Or Jesus can't do a work in us. But the truth is, sometimes we have a more sanitized version of this demoniac situation going on in our lives. Right? We have a sanitized... Well, my sins are not these, these kind of gross ones here, but perhaps you're struggling with gossip and you're a chronic gossip. Perhaps you're a chronic liar. Perhaps you're a chronic cheat. Perhaps there are all sorts of things that have twisted up your soul and you just feel like this is just doing business every day. I can't stop doing these things. 
And Jesus' word to you from this passage is that all you have to do is encounter Him and see Him for who He is and see yourself before Him as in need. And deliverance can come. The Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, or sorry, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Have you ever called on the name of the Lord truly? For salvation, for rescue, for forgiveness, for help, for deliverance. He is an ever-present help in a time of need. So we've seen He's the bondage breaker. We've seen He can deliver us. We've seen the picture of the horridness of sin. But the last picture we see in picture 3 is a, a picture of a disciple's testimony. Look at verse 35. Then... People went out to see what had happened because all the herdsmen, you know, they see all these demons fleeing and going into the pigs and running into the water. The herdmen, herdsmen go out and tell the townspeople because that's the cry of the town, right? Like all our business is gone, like 2,000 pigs just died. So Jesus just bankrupts them in like one fell swoop. And now they're telling everybody about it. And they came and they saw they came to Jesus and they found the man, verse 35, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right man, and they in his right mind, and they were afraid. When you're, when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're in your right mind, and you're clear thinking and you're looking to Christ, that's a picture of discipleship. This man is in the position of a disciple sitting at Jesus' feet. You remember Mary and Martha, right? What's Mary doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet in the position of a disciple. But you've got a Gentile doing this because Jesus just saved him. And what's he do? He's committed to discipleship. And any salvation in our life that stops short of discipleship is not true salvation. Jesus called people to be disciples. Jesus called people to sit at His feet. Jesus called people to commit their lives wholly to Him. And sometimes we can soft-pedal the Gospel that it's stated in such a way that Jesus can save you and then you just go live your life like everybody else. But that's not the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus saves us in order to make us disciples who make disciples. Jesus saves us and empowers us with the gospel and we begin to live a new way. We, we're in our right mind. We're clear thinking. We're level-headed. We see the world a new way. I mean, one of the things that happened to me when I got saved is I started to see like this is all real. When I thought it was just a bunch of fairy tales. When I thought it was just a bunch of myths. And then it's like your eyes are open and you see the world a totally new way. Has that happened for you? Have you seen the world a new way? Has Jesus transformed your thinking and your heart in such a way that you're committed to Him? And you see Him and you see the world totally new. Jesus is actually about the business of making disciples. And disciples follow him. 
And we need a word that it's only a disciple who can have a testimony, right? A disciple is one who's been saved, transformed. Drop down to verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. When I just think about like transformation always comes before the testimony, right? You get transformed and then the testimony starts flowing out of your life. Transformation, discipleship, testimony. Disciples are made and then they go make disciples. That's the flow of this passage. What does Jesus say to him? He begs. It's interesting, but there are three times where Jesus is asked or begged to do something. The demons ask him not to throw them into the abyss. And so he throws them into the pigs, right? The herdsmen ask Jesus to leave the town and he listens to them and he leaves. But this man asked, and he's clinging to Jesus. I just want to be with you, Jesus. And of course he would. No, no, you're a disciple now and I'm sending you into the world to declare the great things God has done for you. And that is the mission and commission to all disciples. That's for me and for you. When God gets a hold of your life, He calls you to discipleship and then He calls you to go tell of the great things God has done for you. Last week I mentioned Dawson Trotman. And when that brother got saved, he went to the lumber mill that he worked at and he would spend his lunches just sharing what God had done for him. I was in trouble with the law. Getting in trouble by the police. I said, I'm going to, I vowed to go to church. I went to church. They were doing a Bible memory contest. All of a sudden, I'm memorizing 10 verses and I get saved. And so he would recount that story to men after, man after man after man as he's working. And he would share all 10 of the verses he knew. That's all he knew. And he shared. And he did that for 30 years until the Lord took him home a man with a testimony, and he goes fishing. And that's exactly what Jesus called this man to do. Go tell the great things God has done for you. So I'm going to give you a couple words about testimonies in general. Just as you're thinking about, like, how can I be practical with this? Well, you have a testimony if you're a Christian. If you don't have a testimony, you're not a Christian. Your testimony may be, I got saved when I was six years old because my parents taught me the gospel and I've always believed since then. That's a testimony. Share it. Okay, that one's free. This one, right? The first thing we see in this text is verse 39. Jesus tells this man to go home and share with his home first. Look at verse 39. Return to your home and declare how much things how much God has done for you. 
So go home and share with family, friends, those in your spheres of influence that know you. Go tell great things that God has done for you. And then it moves out from there. Look at verse 39 again. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus has done for him. And notice the connection between what God has done for him and what Jesus has done for him. What God has done for you is what Jesus has done for you if you're a Christian. Go tell your family and your friends. That's the first thing I did when I got saved is I got on the horn and I called my grandma. And I shared the great things God had done for me. And then I started sharing with my friends. And then I started sharing with my workers and co-workers at lunches. And I can identify with Dawson Trotman because it's like your eyes are open and you want to begin to share this new reality of God's saving blessing in your life with the world. And the progression is start at home and work out from there to what God will open doors to. Be faithful with the little things. Easter is coming. Who will you invite to church? Who will you share the gospel with? Who will you give a gospel tract to and tell of the great things God has done for you? This is a powerful witness of a man whose life had been changed and it was undeniable, indisputable. He was once wandering the tombs filled with devils, totally naked, totally hopeless, and now he's in his right mind and he's preaching Jesus. Does that sound familiar? That's Raul Reese's story. He was bound up, PTSD, enslaved to drugs, enslaved to alcohol, living a life of sin and bondage. And Jesus sets him free. And he goes and he tells people, somebody loves you. And his name is Jesus. And he died on a cross for sinners to rescue them. And he rose from the dead three days later because God accepted his sacrifice on behalf of all who will believe. And I've got great news for you. If you turn from your sins and you trust in Christ, you can be saved. You can know God. You can have your reality changed. You can have transformation in your life. And you can go out and have a testimony to share with others. That was the progression in this man's life. It was the progression in Raul Reese's life. And every Christian has that great word. Go tell the great things God has done for you. And I hope that encourages you like, yes, I'm ready. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to be praying for people, individual people I know to get saved. And then I'm going to go share the great things that God has done for me. And the last thing I see here is that we need to commit to following Jesus as a disciple if we're ever going to qualify as somebody who will want to share what he has done for us. He saves us to discipleship. Verse 35, one more time, just how you see this. And, it, and this may just be a word for, 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 for some of you. Commit to discipleship. Commit to following Jesus wholeheartedly. Look at him here. He's... No demons are in him. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed and he's, he's in his right mind. And everybody else is afraid. It's interesting how when God saves you and transforms you and there's no explanation for it, people get weird. 
right? It's like, this is a little odd. This guy's talking about Jesus, and he was out there ready to spray Uzi bullets and kill his family, and now he's talking about Jesus. That's Raul Reese's testimony. What's your testimony that you can tell of the great things God has done for you? So as we think about discipleship, as we think about the reality of a real testimony, perhaps some of us in here are just thinking, I don't, I don't have a testimony. And if I'm honest, I don't really know Jesus. If I'm honest, I, I've never really come to my senses. I've never really thought clearly about this. I've never really had a relationship with Jesus. I've never been excited about the things of God. I've never had this joy in my soul that I knew I had a relationship with God. I've never went and seen how beautiful Jesus is when I consider the cross of Christ and that He died for me. That's not sweet to me. Maybe that's your testimony right now. You don't have one, and you know you're in sin. You know you need rescue. You know you need to seek forgiveness from God by believing in the one whom he sent. And his name's Jesus, and he has authority over the demons. He has authority over the winds and the waves. He has authority over sickness and death itself. He makes death work backwards. And he can break the bonds of sin in your life. So I commend Jesus to you now, if that's you, to follow him, trust him, believe on him. Maybe some of you are slightly convicted today, like, well, I don't share my testimony all that much. I never really thought it was that great. But if you are a Christian, it's a miracle. It means that you were like this man, whether you were six years old and you were sinning in six-year-old ways, or you're a 30-year-old sinning in 30-year-old ways, or you're a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old or a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old, tell of the great things God has done for you and have an ongoing testimony. Sometimes we talk about God like he did all this stuff way back when, and there's nothing, no action happening now. And we got to cry out, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Work in our lives. Bring the kingdom power into my life. Start praying for people on your list. Start going out and sharing good news with them. Start praying in ways where you want to actually live the life of discipleship laid out here. And this man was no like, he wasn't a seminarian. He wasn't, you know, this amazing guy that had all sorts of things that he had been trained to do. He just went out and shared what Jesus had done with him and for him. And surely you can do that. What would happen at Smithfield Baptist Church if we began to get busy about sharing the testimonies of the great things God has done for us. What might happen in your life if you took God at his word and started to share what God has done in your life? The townspeople rejected Jesus and kicked him out of town. And do you know who he left behind in his place? He left this man who had once been filled with demons to share the great news of what God had done 
He did not leave himself without a witness. And if you gather here at Smithfield Baptist Church, that's exactly what you are. That's exactly what you are. A witness for Jesus in this world. And you have a testimony. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for this great word, Lord. I'm reminded um, of just the powerful work that you do in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And, and Father, you change lives. And Lord, um, many of us in here just need encouragement to go and share the great things you've done for us. And I pray that you would embolden us. I pray that we would not be so convicted that, that we do nothing and we're shamed, but that we would be encouraged that this would be the kind of conviction that motivates to action, that motivates to commitment, that motivates to a following heart after Jesus. And for those of us who are here today and we've been struck by the arrows of truth about our bondage, Maybe there's some here today, Lord, that do not know you and have been convicted of late that they do not know you and they need to repent and put their trust in you. I pray that you would summon that kind of faith forth in them, that you would give them uh, just a word of encouragement to turn from their sin and trust in you. And Father, I pray that you would do an encouraging work of revival in this church, that we would get bold and get busy telling the great things that the Lord has done for us in this world and in our families and in our spheres of influence. In Jesus' name, amen.